Well, hello, welcome to our regulars, and hello to any of you for whom this is your first Instec podcast experience. Hang in there, we have got another really juicy episode for you this week. Matthew Grant here, and this is definitely the season of bringing you insights from insurers and how they are using innovation. Well, we're delighted to have many of the insurers we consider to be the most forward-thinking in the use of innovation and technology in insurance, whether that's the global household names to some of the smaller but successful commercially specialty businesses operating out of Lloyd's, all of whom are corporate members. You'll be hearing from many of them over the next few months. Now, if you've been following the companies really stepping up and putting time and capital against new ideas, particularly here in London, then I'm sure you'll have come across one or other of the initiatives being supported by Atrium. Now, Atrium has been a long-time supporter of innovation in insurance in London. Simon Lewis and Matt Greaves are underwriters at Atrium, but have also carved out an important role for the company and for Lloyd's in identifying new organisations to work with and putting underwriting capacity behind new ideas, including, as you'll hear in a moment, crypto assets. So whether you're an underwriter, if you're building a business selling solutions into insurance, or just frankly curious about hearing some innovation success stories, then this one is for you. And finally, If you're not already one of our members and want to find out how you can benefit from Instec, hang in there to the very end. Simon, Matt, another really interesting episode here. I just so much love hearing about what is happening with insurance companies using innovation. And frankly, I think if anybody used to Google Lloyd's Innovation uh, insurance, the name Atrium is going to have to come up because I just hear so many things you're doing and you know, so many companies that have worked with you and had a really good experience. So uh, I don't know how we're going to cram this all into the next 30 or 40 minutes, but I, I know we're going to have a lot to cover. Hi, Matthew. Yeah, good, great to be speaking with you today and looking forward to the rest of the podcast. Hi there, Matthew. How are you doing? Looking forward to this. And uh, yeah, as you say, hopefully we'll put it all in. Good. Well, just a bit of background for the two of you. And then I'm just going to ask you to flesh this out a little bit. More So, Simon, you've been an underwriter at Atrium since 2007. Matt, you've been an underwriter uh, in accident and health since 2014 and have now taken on, I guess, alongside your core uh, responsibilities, quite an interesting role in looking at crypto. So really looking forward to learning a little bit more about that. Um, but Simon, what, what else should we talk about in terms of Atrium, first of all, for people that aren't familiar with what you're doing? So Atrium is a specialist insurance reinsurance company underwriting at Lloyd's through Syndicate 609. Been around for a long, long time, since the 1930s, so got very long-standing relationships. One of the items is we're a 625 million stamp for 2021, which puts us in the sort of the mid-size category. But one of the great things about Atrium is the historical outperformance and the fact that we, we've sort of found ourselves on the Lloyd's light touch list, which is really a good feather in our cap. Um, with a file and use business plan so we can take advantage of the the improving market and the sort of the innovation of new products. So there's a bunch of terms in there that sound really interesting. So I want to make sure we, we understand them. So uh, first of all, just going back for those that aren't familiar with what stamp might mean, that's essentially when you talk about 625 million pounds. So I guess in dollars, that's probably about 850 million. That's basically defines how much business you can write as the syndicate based on the, the basic Lloyd's plan and looks at your sort of capital allocation. Is that right? Absolutely. That's the uh, accumulation of all of the, the net premium underwritten by each of the parts of the business across the sort of the diversified product lines that we write. And then you had sort of light touch from Lloyd's. It sounds like a nice sort of honor to be able to have. And then something that wasn't quite what you said, but it's something that was like 
fire and go or just you know, just get on with it or something like that. What would, can you just explain what that means in a sort of layperson's language? It's basically come about because Lloyd's has, has taken a sort of oversight of the syndicates from sort of 2018 onwards to try and sort of turn around some of the results. I think what they've looked at in the last couple of years is those syndicates that have outperformed the market sort of continuing to allow them to grow in the same manner that they have been doing over the past number of years because it's been profitable. And and as I say, that's allowed us to take advantage of the hardening market and sort of innovate with the new products. Quite an, an honour. And anything else just about Atrium before we kind of get into specifics about what you're actually doing and who you're working with and, and hear a bit from Matt as well? I think I think one sort of unique element that's worth mentioning is the fact that the syndicate is backed 75 percent by named capital. And again, that's that's slightly unique in terms of the Lloyd's market. Now, there are still other syndicates that have that as capacity. But, you know, a lot of others do have big corporate backers. But it's definitely an element that's probably helped us with our sort of innovation, you know, intentions with innovation. And by name capital, that's actually the, the traditional Lloyd's way where you've got individuals that are putting funds up to Lloyd's as opposed to, you know, as you implied, majority of Lloyd's syndicates today are backed by larger corporate investors. Exactly, yes. Matt, just coming to you then. So good to hear a little bit about you, what, what you're doing as an underwriter and, and then more broadly on the innovation side. And Simon, I want to come back to you as well because your name keeps turning up. In all the things you're doing, I'm not quite sure how you have time to do your day job. Uh, but Matt, yeah, accident and health, and then you, you've managed to take on a responsibility for underwriting crypto as well. Uh, kind of interested to know, is that something you sort of went after or uh, did it sort of find find you? So, yeah, good to hear about what your, your day job is and, and how things are evolving in, in the other areas. I've been working on the accident and health team as an underwriter at Atrium now for seven years. I guess over that period of time, naturally, uh, a job role it does morph and change and what I've managed to take on and uh, move into over that period is more of the innovation side with Simon and and with the group. As part of that, we've been meeting third parties and connecting with individuals, which meant that just out of nowhere, really, this cryptocurrency opportunity hit the desk and was and was something that we could run with. And I guess working at Atrium, one of the core values is independence and we're kind of trusted to get on with the job. And if we see a good opportunity and it didn't have to lie neatly in the accident health world, which I normally work in, I'm kind of trusted to go down that route and, and then try and take a jump into that world. And it, it's something that we've now been on that risk for the last 18 months. And we, we keep seeing inquiries almost on a daily basis. Well, I want to come back and drill into that a little bit more, but I just want to make sure also we set the scene in terms of what you're doing with your innovation committee, because we're talking to a lot of insurance companies, yeah, all in different stages, frankly, of how well they're able to embrace innovation, yeah, how much freedom they give to their underwriters. And you seem to be one of the organizations that I would say is amongst the leaders in terms of you know, not, not just getting people together to talk about innovation, but as we've touched on, or I'm sure we'll talk more about, you're actually underwriting a whole range of unusual businesses. And this must have come from the top at Atrium that you know, gave the management team at Atrium the confidence to say, right, let's just go out and actually empower some underwriters and give them some capacity to go and do some things that maybe are a little bit unusual, but are actually going to help you know, push the barriers and drive more growth for the business. From an Atrium standpoint, I think one thing to be clear with is that all of the teams within Atrium have been innovating you know, from day one. Atrium tend to employ creative and innovative people. So that's been very helpful that the teams are already innovating. 
one of the reasons to put the group together was to sort of create a kind of a knowledge exchange and a sort of dedicated group to act as a resource for the other parts of the business to explore the new innovative ideas that are coming out from the market and sort of adopt that for ourselves and, you know, look at new products, look at new distribution. One thing that we maybe hadn't done in the past as much was collaborate with third parties. So we were sort of set up as a group to engage with yourselves, you know, Instech London, startup companies, work with the Lloyd's Lab, work with the product innovation facility, you know, explore distribution in the US, for example, you know, and really have a group that's sharing ideas from across the business, um, like-minded individuals uh, to set up to do that. And I think from an atrium standpoint, the atrium vision is to be the most trusted syndicate in Lloyd's, and that's externally and within ourselves, within our own staff. Um, you mentioned the empowerment. That's a huge part of it. You know, we are all decision makers across the company. You know, we can all sit down and make decisions. In my first ever job interview, I was told you'll be making decisions quickly, but you'll be accountable for those decisions. So really, you, you want to make sure you do the best job to make everybody else a success as well as yourself. And that's really the sort of the mantra within Atrium. And it really seems that's the heart of the strength of Lloyd's of that. Yeah, the responsibilities of individual, the sort of agility really, you know, agility doesn't, didn't just get invented five, ten years ago. That's been around for 300 years in terms of underwriting. And then the trust bit is also, you have to have those two lined up. So that's really interesting. You, you mentioned there two things that a lot of people are going to, to recognize as challenges. I mean, distribution is the first one you mentioned. So for those that are sort of not familiar exactly what distribution means, it's essentially how an insurance company sells its its products. And one of the challenges we've seen with a lot of the new products coming out, as you mentioned, is is a distribution, which basically for Lloyd's means the brokers are actually going out to their clients and selling this on your behalf. Something you touched on there about alternative types of distribution. Is there, is there anything specific you can use either of you as an example of what you're looking at or who you're working with as, as alternative or complementary, probably because you still need to work through the brokers for Lloyd's forms of distribution? It's a really interesting point, and obviously we do have our existing distribution that we're always trying to innovate with within itself. Um, one good example that we found was a company who were sort of selling their products online through a platform to their distribution and linking up with sort of third-party mortgage companies, third-party landlord associations, and sort of pushing our products out that way. And it was a sort of a little bit of a turnaround where, you know, they had the platform they had the idea of the product, but we worked with them on that product to produce it and sort of innovate and create it digitally and push it down to their network. I think it's a really good example of where the industry more broadly has still got room for growth, which is brokers you know, seeing the solutions they want to offer to their clients and then actually coming back into their capacity providers and you know, collaboratively working on that. And then, Simon, you also mentioned product in there of course you know for those not familiar with the insurance terminology product actually means the, the insurance itself matt perhaps you can talk a little bit about that as an example of how you think about products and also to be useful just to touch on you know how, how the decisions are made internally you know what kind of hierarchies there are as you actually are writing these products in terms of the organization to get the approval to write those so we've written quite a few new products over the last 18 to 24 months, but some of those that we're most proud of are actually the fast fails. And whereas previously we might have drawn a new product out over a long period of time, just to say no, we've actually got very good at saying no quickly. 
And a good example of this was a new Takaful product, which was aimed at the Islamic community and was Sharia compliant. It was something we beat around in our innovation committee and actually ended up drawing in 90, the consulting firm. We had a focus group in. We had one day there. And at the end of the eight hours or whatever it was, it was decided that this was not commercially viable. And we said no at that stage. And it was just a brilliant example of us not pouring too much resource down a funnel that wasn't going to be a success for Atrium and kind of chasing good money with bad. Um, on term, in terms of the successes, I think we're talking about buy-in from senior management and the fact that we're, we're very lucky and privileged that we see new products like the crypto products, which we've talked about, which is very left field and it was very new to Atrium and even Lloyd's at the time. And we have the ability to, to see it, it had potential sit in front of our active underwriter, our CEO and get buy-in on the spot as soon as we, we need to speak to them. And then we can push go and speak to our compliance team and, and draw in those around the Atrium network who we need to, to get the deal over the line. So as well as having the, the quick nose, we've also, when we do see a viable opportunity, we, we can push go very quickly. Well, let's just talk a bit more about crypto and the support you gave to CoinCover because I think everybody would recognize that there's a big opportunity out there in, in crypto for insurance still significantly underserved. We're actually doing a report. We're just finalizing it now, uh, a sort of introductory guide to crypto for insurance. Matt, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what is the actual cover that you're providing to CoinCover? Maybe also a bit about what CoinCover do as well. And I think you came across them through Lloyd's. Is that right? So they actually, um, it went by the, the product innovation facility at Lloyd's and we uh, saw them outside of the Lloyd's lab and the, and the PIF, but saw it as a great opportunity. It was one where we wanted to work collaboratively with other Lloyd syndicates. And so we presented it to the PIF and gained support by that route. But the, the coin cover opportunity is essentially a theft cover covering hot and cold wallets, which, which hold cryptocurrency. So it's quite a traditional form of insurance in as much as it is theft of people's money, but it's using this this new mechanism and this this new currency which is becoming more prevalent in our society. What's interesting is since then we've we've looked at thousands of cryptocurrency risks and as you say the need is great and it's now moving into DeFi as well as people are trying to uh, buy insurances for the the code which sits behind the DeFi contracts. But as of yet, we've not found anything that's, that's managed to hit our sweet spot. And we're trying to negotiate this, this very rocky sea, um, at, almost as we talk, but we're getting there and we're happy to have coin cover on the roster. Um, and if we see another, another one that hits our risk appetite, then we'll definitely be pushing forward. So we'll come back to the, the PIF, the product innovation facility in a, in a minute, because I definitely want to talk about that. Um, just for those that aren't up to date on all of their crypto language. So, DeFi is decentralized finance. Uh, I've got to confess, I've forgotten the difference between a hot and a cold wallet. So can you just remind us? Hot wallet is where the key to access the cryptocurrency is stored online and cold wallet is where it's stored offline. And so you're covered or the protection is actually literally for people who are protecting their assets or is it protecting the theft of the, or the loss of the key and therefore they can't access the assets? It's essentially the loss of the key. Um, so CoinCover provide a lost key recovery as well as a guarantee of funds of money held in their wallets. And we then provide a, an insurance policy to the CoinCover, which then ensures them for any loss associated with money being taken out or removed from those wallets. 
Okay, so if someone hacks into the wallet, then there's a loss, and they're covered for that loss, are they, as well as just losing the key or something else? Yes. Good. And then, so the, the product innovation facility. So as I recall, that was a group, and I think it was around about 28 syndicates that had capacity of something like 128 million pounds, uh, really a group of people like yourselves, well, that was the intention to be able to go and underwrite different types of unusual risks, you know, quick decision making. There's a lot more to it than that. Matt, can you just sort of talk a little bit more about, you know, what that is and, and how it's working? And as you mentioned, that CoinCover came through the PIF. How do they actually get access to new ideas or people to work with? Of course, the product innovation facility has been around for a couple of years now. And as you say, it was for if set up for like-minded syndicates, all who want to look at the the weird and wonderful innovative insurance products. Um, it grew to 28 syndicates and there were risks sent round largely via email of late where syndicates could, could read and then take further interest and find out more information. In some instances, um, syndicates would go to the PIF like we did with CoinCover to present an opportunity and say, this is a risk guys that we all want to work on collaboratively and it's too big for atrium or it's something that we think you guys should be involved with as well and you know more minds the better on some of these opportunities um and it was presented that way and because uh simon you did the presentation and managed to get quite a bit of support i think going forward the pif is going to be rebranded and reshaped under the guise of um a leader and follow structure so the newly formed pif whatever the name of that will become is uh it's being chaired by co-chaired by george Beatty at beasley who we know very well and who we've worked with on a couple of other projects as well as katie lennon at axor excel so it's um exciting times for that one thing i should also mention is the coin cover project actually was really introduced by insurtech gateway which we were put in touch with by insect london so uh, it circles back to you guys quite nicely on that one Oh, well, I couldn't resist jumping in here. We do keep coming across these stories of people that have met through an introduction or at an event through Instec, and I do feel we need to celebrate them in a small way. Okay, back to my discussion with Matt and Simon. We know George, uh, I don't think we've met Katie yet, but certainly a big fan of what Beasley's doing, and we do know Axra Excel very well. And yeah, no, the Instec London community is hopefully the gift that keeps on giving, and all these great connections that happen we don't even know about. So I'm glad that one worked out well for you. Um, so let's also talk about the Lloyd's Lab. We've touched on this a little bit. Uh, you've been very active in that as mentors. You know, I've personally spoken to a number of people that you've you've worked with. There's a great uh, press release, I think it is, on your website of all the ones you've worked with on the most recent cohort. Just great to hear from one of you, you know, how, how you do work with the lab and some of the, the benefits that you've seen coming out from that. I personally have been a mentor for four times through the lab process and in most recent time been working with Gaia who are looking to put together an IVF product for uh, prospective parents. And obviously it's very um, emotionally charged topic and it's very difficult time in life for, for individuals and they just want to ease that burden as well as make individuals go through that process and make it able to go through that process a lot quicker. And we've touched on the collaborative nature of the innovative world. And we went through the lab process and this is now working outside of that. And we're working with Beasley and Chaucer and Gaia together in a, a very open minded and uh, collaborative manner to look to launch that product as, as soon as we can. Excellent. Well, actually, we had Gaia talking at our recent event 
a lot of people are saying you're saying really good things about them. I think it's a great credit to Lloyd's for something that's slightly unusual, you know, and different from what Lloyd's normally ensures to see that, you know, working in the lab and, and getting the support from yourselves and Chaucer and uh and Beasley. Um well good. Well Simon, anything you want to add about the lab? I know you've been involved with that as well. Yes, myself too. I've I've mentored a number of different groups and I think one one of the sort of the key items from the lab, it's definitely sort of for members of staff within Atrium to experience talking to different types of entities, there's an element of sort of education as well for ourselves in sort of mentoring during the lab. I mean, quite often what happens when we do mentor people in the lab, we pull in a number of different people across Atrium, you know, with expertise in their fields to help these people through their lab process. But the actual point person does tend to get a lot out of it as well by speaking to people they usually wouldn't do in their day job. So we should just explain for those not familiar with the Lloyd's Lab, and we've had quite a few people who've been through it on various of these podcasts, but I mean, essentially what Lloyd's is offering is a 10-week, uh, I mean, been remote obviously for the last year and a half, but then they're starting to get back together in, in Lloyd's itself now, but a 10-week program to give companies a chance to work directly with organizations like yourself, test out some of their ideas. You know, generally, they're looking to build out um, a new proposition or offering within the, on the back of the product. And I think we're now just probably started seven cohort seven as we're talking, but they rely very heavily on your know, mentors such as yourself to actually give them advice, but also start testing it out. I guess maybe one for each of you advice both to people who run in underwriting and might want to become mentors and then also advice to any companies that are looking going into the lab or are already in the lab and how to make themselves attractive for the mentors. I'm happy to do the one for the companies going into the lab and that for me, every time it goes to pitch day, the thing is, is it commercially viable? Yes or no. And a lot of the time there's a really great idea and it might be solving a problem, but it's just not commercially viable or scalable or there's something fundamental such as systemic risk, which comes with a lot of the, the parametric products, for instance. And it's just considering those elements and taking a step back. Um, cause those, that, those are the things that people will be thinking about when they're voting on putting companies into, into Lloyd's Lab or not. That's really helpful, Matt. But I just, I just want to make sure I understand the concern you might have with some of the parametric covers because, you know, parametric insurance is a lot of interest in that. Does that, so the systemic risk around that, is that because you're seeing a very high concentration or aggregation or correlation, you choose your word, uh, of, of losses from a single event? Is that a concern for those? Ultimately, yes. You've got a, a lot of aggregation all in, in one place. It's usually from a natural catastrophe pe- type peril. And on an instant payment parametric type trigger and basis, you could have an immense loss very quickly. And there's no misfactor whatsoever. Whereas in traditional insurance, you're going to have a slightly more spread. So it's making sure that all of those elements are considered. And obviously, there's always price, um, but the price has to be you know, thought about in relation to, to those key elements. No, thanks. Well, just to make sure that we don't kind of cause anybody who's got a parametric insurance for hurricanes or earthquakes or catastrophic loss to totally give up. I mean, there there is a whole area of catastrophic reinsurance. And I think your point is coming into it, people just need to be aware that it might not be right for everybody. And they just need to understand that there might need to be more protections in place. If you create a parametric structure, you might need to have reinsurance in the background, like you know, any prudent insurance company would do. Well, and also great, great aggregate monitoring. If you've got, you can monitor your aggregates and your spread. Um, I think that really helps. And that makes it all of a sudden far more commercially viable than someone who's selling almost unlimited amounts of policies, which means unlimited exposure. 
So Simon, that leaves you with advice to anybody who's looking to be a mentor or considering being a mentor. I would just say it's a, it's a fantastic experience. As I said before, it's it's really talking to companies that you wouldn't ordinarily speak to in your day job. And I think my advice would just be to go in with a completely open mind, hear what the companies have to say. You know, a lot of these ideas aren't ideas that you've heard of before. So it's almost open mind and also collaborate with the other mentors. And aside from that, pull in as many people as you can possibly do from inside your company to kind of cover off the different areas that the startup potentially needs. And I think by doing that, you kind of start working collaboratively with the startup and, and you end up with getting pretty good loyalty from that startup if after the 10 weeks you've been able to shape and help mould their idea. Well, thanks. No, we're big supporters of Lab. As we've talked to quite a few people on there, Lloyd's doesn't charge for it. They don't take any equity just now. There's a lot of competition to get in there, but it's good to see the quality of all the submissions going. And I think back to your point, Matt, you know, the companies they're looking for now are actually probably a little bit more well-established. So they've already started to work out their their product market fit and the sort of revenue. And as you say, absolutely, it has to have a sort of very compelling um business case for it but i want to move on a bit and talk about something slightly different simon that you're also getting involved i know not you directly as an underwriter but indirectly and that's claims so can you sort of talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the area of innovation and claims and i know that's a big area for lloyd's itself looking at complex claims but yeah i'm interested to hear about some of the companies or things you're doing in that area it's an area we've really had some great success and you know part of that is because we are ultimately trying to improve the customer experience because you know, what we're selling when we sell an insurance policy is the ability for us to pay claims. That's exactly what the insured is looking for when they have their claim. Uh, we have two members of our claims team that sit on the Innovation Steerco, along with the other underwriters and business change. And we've had some really good success stories from the Lloyd's Lab. So I just wanted to touch on a couple of those rather than exactly as you said, it's a huge area, very difficult to cover multiple areas off. So I'll be quite specific in the in the opportunities that we've seen. The first one, which I know they've spoken on your podcast in the past, was Tautona and John Holdsworth. And we've done a lot of work with them. We identified the problem where, you know, policies are quite often hundreds of pages long. There's multiple endorsements. So when it comes down to the claims process, it takes a lot of time to actually understand the data within the policy and understand exactly where the claim fits and what the proximate cause is. And they're genuinely using AI to sort of drive that process. So using Tautona's natural language processing and natural language understanding, we can review the claims notifications and identify the proximate cause a lot faster, speeds up the initial claim notification and also improves the accuracy. We're currently in a testing phase with them um, through our online platform. I'm glad you said genuinely using AI because we all know there's organizations out there that claim to be using AI, but sometimes they're just glorified spreadsheets and there are other ones that you know, really do need to use AI and actually are doing some quite clever things to identify um, ways of identifying information that you kind of would struggle to do any other way. And what else have you got going on? Another company, again, from the lab was Fields Pro Direct, and they're a company which they use smart matching of claims with licensed professionals to make sure we've got exactly the right fit for the right claim to basically improve the turnaround times for the client and ultimately reduce the cost for the insurers. And then another area, of course, we're all talking about is data. But it'd be good just to hear a little bit more about how you think about data 
and you know, where you see there's more opportunities to get more data to enhance claims or anything else you're doing. HM won an award in 2019. It was called the Cuthbert Heath Award for basically work we did with Vitesse after the wildfires. Can you just explain what you won the award for? We were looking at ways that we could speed up payments to our insureds to, again, really improve the customer experience and make sure they were getting the funds in the appropriate time. And we work with a company called Vitesse. And basically what they do is it's a smart way to make global payments a lot faster. Um, we used it to speed up the payments, um, particularly after large events. We've done the same process with the recent hurricanes. We've actually got an API directly from Vitesse into our centralized claims management system, which was Atrium built. Um, and we can trigger payments directly from our system. It sort of replicates the legacy process, but is fully automated. It basically reduces double keying, reduces the need for lost funds, faster payments, more transparency. And, you know, we can actually do bank transfers to send the money directly back into the insured's bank account. One of the things that we are doing is it, it's, a, it's a real case where we need a bit of a market solution for this. So Atrium are working on the Faster Claims Payment Initiative with Vitesse and looking for a wider market adoption for this type of process. Because ultimately, where we lead stuff 100%, we can manage that process. But once it comes to a subscription market, we need all of the parties involved on board with Vitesse to be able to make those Faster Claims payments to the customer. That's really fascinating. Well, Cuthbert Heath was the original underwriter that, said after the 1907 San Francisco earthquake, and of course that was a big part of that was fire, was that Lloyds will pay the claim. So I'm sure that if he was around now, he'd be pleased his award just kind of still had a, a fire connection to it. That kind of brings us on to the next topic, which is data. And from a very practical point of view, what are you seeing or who are you working with that is providing data that can help improve the underwriting process? Ultimately at Atrium, you know, we want to have smarter underwriting. We, f- we still fully believe that underwriters need to underwrite the risks, but we also need the data and the tools to be able to do our jobs properly and sort of enhance that process. Fundamentally, one of the biggest challenges is getting all of the data in one place. And that's exactly what we're working on. Lloyd's are working on at the moment to try and achieve that. We're, we're, we're big supporters of the Lloyd's franchise collectively modernizing the market trying to improve the common infrastructure. Many of our senior colleagues sit on the central committees to try and help push this forward. And we've got a good track record of collaborating with our peers. So I think ultimately, once we have that data in one place, it becomes far more usable and become part of the process of underwriting. I think where we've had successes is on our online portal, where we actually have a live database already set up and we've had that live database running since 2004. It also means that the product is in front of the clients at the point of binding. So we can actually plug data in before they've even bound the risk, which we believe is the key to success with using data. One of the companies that we've used heavily over the last couple of years is Hazard Hub, who I know are friends with Instech London. Now, if you are one of our enthusiastic and regular UK listeners that gets us fresh each Sunday and you like what you're about to hear, then we may have a treat for you. Bob Frady, 
one of the co-founders of Hazard Hub, who was, by the way, our guest on episode 135 back in April, is over in the UK and taking time off from his holiday to join us on stage in London on the 11th of October in the evening at the Steelyard. So if you fancy joining us, take a look at www.instec.london. We may still have some seats left, or if you missed that, you can catch the recording later. I have a feeling it's going to be another great evening, but for now, here's what Atrium are doing with Hazard Hub. Where we discovered them was post the 2018 wildfires, we really needed to find a solution to help us risk select business before the business hits our books. And we searched for through a number of different companies and we landed on Hazard Hub, particularly because of their connectivity pre-bind, but also the quantum of data that they possess. They sort of brand themselves as a data company, which we which we quite liked. So the data gets delivered to us and then it's down to us how we interpret that data and how we want to use it within our underwriting. So at the moment, how the how the system is set up, we've got Hazard Hub built into our AU Gold platform via an API. I think our, our next stage with Hazard Hub and using that data is, you know, getting to grips with the other sort of 700 odd fields that they have in their data set and seeing how we can sort of pre-populate our platform again with some of that data. I would say we do use other other data providers. ISO is another good example that we've been working heavily with. Again, pre-populating data into our platform, which ultimately helps with the customer experience, but also the data accuracy, which has been another problem. You know, there's always been a reliance on whoever puts the data into the platform. That's the data that you can work with. Whereas actually, if you're plugging in via API third-party data, that accuracy should be improved and helps all parties. Oh, great. Well, there's a lot in there, Simon. Uh, we could have a whole conversation around data. So thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to come back to in there. So certainly, you know, Hazard Hub, uh, I'm very impressed with what they've done in five years, just been acquired by Guidewire. And this whole area where you're actually inserting the data into the underwriting process at the point of underwriting sounds obvious. And I think anybody not close to how the business is being written, particularly through MGAs, might be surprised that's not happening. But it's really good to see you and a few others that are doing that. And then, Simon, you talked about AU Gold, which is your platform. Uh, it would just be here good to hear a little bit more about that from one of you, about what that actually is and, and how it's being used. Yes, a- AU Gold is probably one of the original innovations at Atrium. It was developed back way back in 2004 when pretty much nobody else was doing portals and it was really set up as a it's a quote bind policy issuance platform that sits within our MGA's offices and was really set up to underwrite small premium business in a fast and efficient manner so it's really on that smaller scale of business where we know that you can't spend a lot of time touching that business because otherwise you're not going to make money on it. The way, the way the platform works is it mirrors the distribution channel across the US. So we do have the ability for retail agents to log in. Um, ultimately, the MGA is the, the contract that we have at Atrium, and they are doing the binding of the business. But we also have the ability for the London broker, the TPA, and the Lloyds underwriters all to log into the platform as well. We write business across all 50 states in the US. We write business in Canada. We've currently got 16 products on the platform um, across property, casualty, A&H and aviation. I would say because of the fact that it's been running since 2004, we have a very good loyal user base on the platform. 
we do have an office in San Francisco, which has helped enormously for our marketing, our sort of exception underwriting, and also our claims process as well. Fascinating. I mean, it just shows how long things can take to get broader adoption. I mean, clearly that's been a success for you, but been going there for a number of years, and there are others now out there doing that. I just got to make sure that the acronym we had in there for those aren't familiar. So TPA is uh, third-party administrators. And then Simon, you know, you've been talking a lot about AU Gold and digital and things. Is, do you see it's going to be a shift now? I mean, definitely face-to-face has got a lot of value, but there's also some costs associated with, with that. You know, with things like AU Gold, is that making it easier and more efficient and, and lots of other good reasons for you to deal with your, your brokers and your uh, your cover holders? The digital landscape is definitely changing. I think when it was launched in 2004, as I mentioned, it was one of the only portals out there. I think that's been widely adopted now across domestic carriers and some other Lloyds players as well. We are seeing more sort of brokers, MGAs wanting to go digital. And I think AU Gold, you know, we've got a great base level. We've actually been working across the last year to release our our API, which is a bindable API, um, which which we feel is going to stand us again sort of as a you know pioneer in that market. It's just, you know, the connectivity, the flexibility and sort of embedded nature of the API directly into the MGA's sort of portals themselves, you know, in, improves their customer service as well because ultimately they don't want to go and have to log into six different portals. They want to be able to log into their own and see the markets that they deal with. So for us to go out there and produce the bindable API has been a big success, and we're we're currently testing that with one of our MGAs at the moment before rolling that out to a broader audience, you know, Q4, Q1 next year. So bindable API is essentially a way that you can connect up the different systems right through to the user front end and the agent and that allows them to quote the business, write the business, and it doesn't require any sort of intervention or different systems. Rather than an individual underwriter at the MGA having to go and go into our own platform, plug in in the information to get the quote and the policy pack, they can actually just log into their own broker portal. The API would then hit our database. It would produce the quote price for them. If they wanted to bind, they'd then be able to bind it and it actually delivers the policy pack directly to them, and they wouldn't even have to go into the AUGOG portal itself. Yeah, it makes me wonder why everyone's not doing that. And we've been really delighted with the support from Atrium for Instead London. Thank you very much for all the help you're doing. Of course, we, you know, a big debt of gratitude to Justin Emmerich, your CIO, who right, really from the early days was a big supporter, both through his role at Atrium and at uh, Alloys as well. But it would be great just you know, to hear from you, specifically you know what else it was about what we've been doing that you know, if you personally Simon and Matt you actually you know, expanded that relationship and have continued to do things with us when we started our innovate group for the first year that we were operational we looked very internally for sort of ideas and sort of innovation projects I think when we got to year two we we really thought that we needed to get out there and speak to third parties and we obviously teamed up with you guys and it's been invaluable, really. I think the scouting network, the sort of the knowledge exchange, you know, the reports that you release are fantastic and the events that you put on are great as well. So it's really given us a sort of a window to a, a number of different companies that we've been able to collaborate with. And, you know, we've touched on a number of those today. Good. Well, thank you very much, Matt, Simon. Best of wishes for the um, rest of the year, I guess, given that we're coming up to renewals at the year end. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Matthew. 
Well, another bumper edition there, I'm sure you'll agree. Now, almost every day we hear from someone telling us what they think about the podcast, and it's these small words of support that make this all worthwhile. Thank you very much. And if you're not already working for one of the companies that supports us as corporate members, whether that's an insurer, broker, technology firm, investor, or something else, and you're wondering what you're missing, please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at instec.london. Thank you.